RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Wednesday morning at RCR, it's time for our legal hub and joining me this morning, flying solo, Katie Ashby-Coppins. Hi, Katie. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hello, listeners. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Very excited to be back. Okay. I When I saw the clips of Lord Sumption um, on New Zealand media, I kind of thought of you. I, I thought, I bet <laughs> Katie's been watching those and reading the stuff. Yeah, look, hasn't it been fascinating? So good to actually finally see some of these comments and discussion being able to be reasonably held, um, you know, in the mainstream media forum. Uh, really fair comments, good questions, um, you know, a little bit defensive questions, but very well tackled by uh, Lord Sumption. A really, a, a real pleasure to finally be able to see discussions happening around this rather than, you know, immense well, shutdown of any communications or discussions at all. So some of those questions to him from mainstream are kind of pushing back slightly on the narrative, do you think? Oh, correct. You could see Jack's, uh, certainly Jack's interview is the one that I focused on for the uh, purposes of you know catching up for today um quite defensive in the questioning um uh, you know suggestions that people were you know so happy to be locked down and told what to do by their government and then you know his natural response was well you know people were willing to give up their rights when you fill them with fear and so a really good yeah. opportunity to ask a question get a response because uh, you know everything's been the one source of truth and or, or the podium of truth and so people haven't been able to you know raise these concerns um i also thought that the comment about you know oh, retrospectively you would be you know we can say these things now and uh i think to most people uh, we would see that or, or appreciate there would be huge consequences from the lockdown and also from the uh economic response that was at was given at the time you know it does you, one thing doesn't come without the other, and um, things flow as they invariably do. So inflation was going to be a consequence of enormous spending. Uh, it's never, uh, never not happened before. So why should it be different this time? And it was great that uh, Lord Sumption was able to discuss the geographical benefits of New Zealand, uh, and yet uh, both it and Australia taking some of the most harshest uh, positions that it did, and you know locking citizens out of its country albeit on administrative concept of getting a place in quarantine, uh, you know, physically locking people out of the country is is, is a breach of so many so many rights. Um, but, you know, if you can't have your country come to you um, as a citizen, then, you know, what can we expect? Yeah, it sort of makes you pine for the Privy Council hearing him talking. Oh, absolutely. I, I I was always a fan of the Privy Council, and I think one of my matters was the last matter to be heard in the Privy Council a few decades ago, uh, oh, Paul. And okay. um, it's, yeah, I, I I I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm a royalist, but I I really like the um, the environment of the Privy Council and, and what it provides. And we still apply a Westminster system in New Zealand, so uh, why not have the Privy Council as the last because having stand. that one step again removed, so you're not, you know, in the local area, bigger picture view. I mean, that's a, that's good to have as a backstop. I would have thought. Yeah, I guess you might have the same argument with you know the monarchy versus having a prime minister or just or just a president. Good yes. question. <laughs> it's, I it's know. a backstop. No, yeah. look, I don't know. I don't know 
either. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly see. I, I think that uh, the Westminster system is the best system we've got as long as the laws are applied, uh, which you know arguably haven't been done in the last few years then. Uh, it, it would be great to be able to see a case go through to the Privy Council to actually put on notice and question whether or not the approaches that were adopted um, you know, are still the same seen through a different lens. Yeah. And good on the, I think, the Free Speech Union for bringing him here. Um, whatever you think about them, they got someone like him on the mainstream. So that's mm, all right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All, all due respect. Uh, that's that's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to hear someone talking about the things that uh, we've been, you know, banging on about for yeah. a, a, an eon. So it was very interesting. Um, I was very appreciative that the questioning was respectful, uh, and that uh, Lord Sumption was given an opportunity to be heard, which I thought was really good um, and, and really that's fair something. and proper and, 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 and proper journalism. Yeah, it's just it's it's been selective, hasn't it? Yeah. Look, I mean, when you've got a a, a media that's not acting like the fourth estate, uh, sorry, not acting like the yeah, well, it's, is acting yeah. like the fourth estate of government and not acting independently, um, you do have the situation where you've got a very biased media giving only a preferred or slanted um, view. And I think even Lord Sumption said that uh, media has uh, a really big uh, level of responsibility resting on its shoulders for the situations that have occurred over the last four years. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Katie, have you caught up with the latest developments in the Posey Parker, Ellie Rubashkin case? You know, she threw the, or he, them, threw the tomato juice at Posey Parker, but also uh, Tanya Sturt, who's on our program this week. Have you, have you caught up with that? No, I haven't. By all means, fill me in. Okay, I think some programs ago when we were talking about, uh, and that would have been closer, obviously, to March 25th, so it would have been one of, one of the early programs, you know, uh, would would they go easy um, because it seems that the police were standoffish at this thing and, and some mm-hmm. were getting an easy ride. Would would they go easy on Ellie Rubashkin or would um, charges be laid? Uh, of course, they were. They wanted them dropped, but uh, the court or the judges decided no, we don't drop them case to answer for. So that restores a bit of faith in the system, you think? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, I don't know if it restores a faith in um, the police response, but it certainly uh, does with the judiciary. There was certainly a case to answer. I mean, it's not a case that it's circumstantial evidence or um, evidence that you're relying on a he said, she said. There's clear evidence. Um, and the definition of assault is, um, you know, a pressure being applied against or an action being applied against someone else's person, I think, is a definition roughly. So you can have a situation where spitting um, would be an assault. So, look, there is the, the, the outcome of the judiciary in making the decision it has, I think, is, is very fair and reasonable. We saw at the beginning a real reluctance by the police to uh, even investigate any of the complaints. I think one of the... Um, uh, ladies that was on uh, with Rodney was the uh, was a woman called Linda I think Sutton and she uh, was the person who was the police liaison role uh, in that event and she made multiple complaints and there was a refusal to investigate on her part because the police just didn't want to do uh, their job 
And we're seeing this a lot more where the police are taking a political uh, response as opposed to a police response. Uh, I think perhaps they're falling into the same um, uh, place as the media has in not doing what their job or role is. Uh, but it's good to see that the judiciary has said, no, this is not being dismissed. There is a case to answer and, and we'll, we'll hear it. Well, the other thing is the aggravating factor, and Tania Sturt said this, when you when that stuff hits you, momentarily you think that could be acid all over your face and you literally oh. freak out and panic. Oh, no and, doubt. So, you know, that it's not just, oh, we threw some tomato juice. In those situations, um, it's a... It's like calling fire in a in a crowded cinema or whatever. I don't know. And look, that's not an unreasonable belief to have held. It was a very highly volatile the um, environment. the uh, The environment was electric with uh, noise, and it was palpable. Uh, it would be very fair and reasonable, not even just to think it was acid, but to think it was someone else's blood. Yeah, someone any, had been yeah. shot. Exactly. You know, it, yeah. you could. It it, it was. Yeah, so there's was, trauma inflicted, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, the, 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 it satisfies the definition of assault. Uh, and, yep. you know, mens rea, uh, which is the mental intention, the actus rea, which is the the, 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 the event and actually conducting the behaviour, they are all things that, you know, the court will have to work through. And um, it, it's, I, I'm delighted that the judiciary is uh, standing up and hearing it because I definitely we've definitely seen the police uh, almost wanting to not prosecute uh, these cases and you know actually turning around and refusing to prosecute prosecute others. Um, you know again where there's clear evidence. So would that be a good, would that be a good character test case there? Because if you're you know um, here. And you've done something like this. Does that mean you you fail some sort of character test? Do we have a, um, any regulations like that? Oh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, possibly well, not. Well, Yemeni was stopped on a character test, really, wasn't he? Yeah, look, he was, and I think he's had a finding that that was um, that decision was illegal. I think it was judicially reviewed and was found to be unreasonable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if someone had conducted similar behaviour before, we do have things such as similar fact evidence or propensity evidence, I think, which shows a person who has previously conducted similar behaviours. Uh, that certainly can be a character element that's used in a court case, um, if that answers your question, Paul. Okay, well, let's see. Okay, provisional consent of the Pfizer vaccines due to expire November 3rd. I'm doing the math two days. November 2023. Mm, very what, interesting. What's all this about? We talked to Sue Gray, kind of kind of no, but what does all this mean? Oh, okay. So this is this is really um this is really interesting. And I've been keeping a very weary eye out um on what's happening in MedSafe and the Gazette. Uh so product uh, medicines are gazetted for approval. Um in New Zealand we've got the two different types of consent. Uh, the ordinary consent once a product's gone through all the necessary um, trials and MedSafe considers it appropriate uh, for you know, use in New Zealand population, and they'll go through an ordinary approval process. And then, of course, we've got this um, a, a ordinary approval and consent process. But, of course, we've got this interesting um, new 
provisional consent that came about, uh, I think it was in late 20, I think it was the late 20 teens that it sort of came out as concept and it was along the basis or along the lines of uh, emergency use authorization that we had in the US. Um, and then in Australia, we've got provisional approval. And then in New Zealand, it's called provisional consent. And because the products hadn't been through all of their testing regimes, they were new to market. In fact, they were a new class of drug. Uh, they couldn't get their ordinary approval. They had to get only provisional consent. And uh, MedSafe initially approved the Cominati, uh, the Pfizer Cominati uh, product uh, for nine months of provisional consent uh, in about February 2021. And it had 58 conditions attached to it. And that conditions had things in relation to contamination, trials, safety data. Uh, I think quite a few people have sought the um, responses Pfizer gave to those uh, 58 conditions under OIA, and I'm not sure that any have been supplied. Uh, so that will be no doubt something that will play out in the future. But interestingly, just before the provisional consent for the Cominati was to expire, uh, MedSafe uh, extended that again for two-year period and had 10 conditions on it. And uh, those conditions remained and the two-year provisional consent period was to expire on the 3rd of November. Now, very strangely, and I can't seem to figure it out from the documents, on the 27th of October, there was a gazetted notice seven days before expiry of the provisional consent. Well, what does gazetted mean? Just, just I know it's basic. No, gazetted, it's, it's, it's not at all. This is uh, Gazetted just means it's uh, published in the um, right. uh, the government records to ensure that something's happened. So okay. it's kind of like a rubber stamp. Uh, okay. So if you are a, um, appointed as a uh, wedding celebrant, for example, I think your name gets gazetted. So we've got confirmation that it's been rubber stamped by the government rather than just some, oh, yeah, it got done, but I've got no proof. So it's right. proof of a, situ a position that government's taken on it. And um, you know, so 27th of October, good old Sue Gray was um, eagle eyes, uh, came across and confirmed that there'd been another Gazette notice issued for I think about five or six of the Cominati products, all of the confirming all of the injections provisional consent is to expire on the uh, on the third of November, um, but extending or giving a date into the future for the Paxlovid tablet, which is um, another Pfizer product uh, that's supposed to mean you don't get as sick if you get COVID. Uh, very interesting list of adverse events on that product statement, if anyone's interested. Uh, so, yeah, we've got this really bizarre situation. All of the previous gazettes for the Cominati vaccine, vaccines, and we've got to remember there's the monovalent, the kids, the bivalent, all of them um, were due to expire on the 3rd of November. And then we get this bizarre extra gazetted notice saying that it's they're going to expire on the 3rd of November 2023. And there's nothing from on the MedSafe side about it. I can't figure out what's going on. I was actually anticipating um, the MedSafe to turn around and do what Australian regulators done, which is to give full approval to these products. And, you know, that's what I was anticipating. That could still happen. Well, in the uh, next few days. Look, who knows? Um, who knows? I think that, uh, and one of the things we were going to come on to next, I think MedSafe is, is, is in a bit of a predicament as to what to do with these 
COVID-19 injectables because, of course, one of the things that um, I've been quite public about recently is this recent DNA contamination issue that's been um, identified by numerous uh, independent labs around the world uh, this year, um, which is showing excessive levels of contamination. So, so what's say, DNA? Uh, yeah, sorry, DNA. But what, when, we, when we say DNA, what are, what are we talking about? You know, DNA it, from it, where? Look, it's part of the manufacturing process, uh, and it's uh, used in the manufacturing process. So there was okay. this is the second form of the manufacturing process. So there was two. Um, process one was the one that all of the um, that, that Pfizer got its a provisional consent on, and then it essentially did another uh, manufacturing process, which is called process two, in which it utilised um, this DNA to manufacture and uh, multiply uh, at great rates to scale up production uh, the, uh, the, the mRNA. And the DNA would ordinarily be filtered out because it's part of the process and it's not required to be in there. It shouldn't be in the products. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't appear that it has been filtered out and instead there's been attempts to cut the DNA up, DNA up into smaller pieces. <laughs> so we've got lots of tiny bits of contaminated like DNA. Fragments, fragments exactly. Uh, and so, you know, the government, MedSafe's, on notice of these issues, um, and it, it's it's really something that's exploded in the last uh, month at least, but something I've been actively working on um, since about February when we filed the GMO case against Pfizer and Moderna in, in Australia. So what happens when that DNA, fragments of DNA, go into a human body system? What happens to it? Does it... Well, edit itself in somewhere, or uh, where's the harm? Sure. We well, the, there was always the WHO and the uh, European um, Environment Agency, and, uh, and one, and I think it was one in Australia, in America as well, had a level of contamination that was acceptable. Right. Um, but that DNA was, you know, naked DNA, not DNA that was encapsulated in the lipid nanoparticles. Oh, I see. That means you can is, go into the cell. That's exactly right. And so, um, you know, one of the issues is is there is a lot of suspicion about um, the issues that these might uh, create, uh, and there's a lot of work going on by, you know, people that are independent, you know, doing this off their own back, financing it themselves. Um, that have actually unpacked what's in these products because nobody's been told, no. and it's all done under the guise of you know confidential um, uh, information that's specialist to Pfizer because it's their product and they don't want to share all of the things that are in it. But you know, now we've yeah yeah exactly, and so now we've got this situation where really massive concerns are being raised with this contamination. It's anticipated that this type of contamination could certainly um, insert itself into people's genetic makeup. It could be affecting offspring. Uh, it could be the reason for um, some of the adverse events that we're seeing. But again, because this stuff hasn't been properly trialled, we don't know. Uh, and so when I wrote to MedSafe and the EPA about this and said, look, I see that you've considered whether these products were um, GMOs for the purposes of the New Zealand legislation, but did you consider this DNA contamination issue um, for the purposes of it, and their answer, of course, is no. But look, it's a it's a 
a major issue. It's contaminated. It's a dirty drug. The thing that it that that's really important to note is it's a ten dollar test that takes about an hour to find out if the contamination is in there, and it's actually utilizing the PCR machines that you know. I think we spent millions of dollars on. Yeah, yeah. So it's not unreasonable to allay people's concerns. You can't go back to the manufacturer about this and say, hey, are your drug drugs dirty? Because their interest is to tell you not. I mean, they didn't spend the millions of dollars that was necessary to get the filtration system on to clean these this DNA out. So they're not exactly going to go and admit it now. Um, so we've got a real a real conundrum so i would hope that that's the reason why these products are not going to get um full consent and that they might not become they might not be available after the 3rd of november um, yeah it, what would the status be of uh, distribution you know come and get the jab after the after the 3rd it would be all over wouldn't it? Yeah, correct. And so that's why I'd be really interested to see whether or not there's been a recall on any of the products by MedSafe. Variably, what would happen, I would expect, is if there is no consent for these products, even provisionally, uh, that there might be a note that goes around all um, uh, pharmacists, sorry, all, all, all suppliers or injectors saying these yep. products no longer have consent and can no longer be administered. Uh, but yeah, look, I don't know. I, it's a very yeah, it's expiring this Friday, and I'd be fascinated to know if there's been a recall or what's going on. But there seems that there is a lot happening without, you know, talking about it. Yeah, so, like something's a bit of smoke. Where there's a bit of smoke, there could be a bit of fire. Something's odd about what the compressed time frame and the lack of any talking about it. Yeah, and look, why even issue that 27 October notice um, well, or Gazette I mean. notice? It's what just is it? weird. Is that a week? It's one week. Yeah, it's one week, and it's confirmed. But the thing is, it's a gazette notice confirming what all the other gazette notices confirmed, which was the products were expiring. The, the provisional consent would expire on the third of November. The people, you know, who who would be pleased would see this as a development. Got to think of the other people who are in a mind to be relying on these vaccines. It, it could be, you know, making people go cold turkey could be brutal. Look, I mean, and that comes down to what Lord Sumption was talking about. A lot of this has been generated on fear. Uh, we've always talked about the immunological, illogical concept of uh, injecting people with a vaccine for a virus, for a version of a virus that was, you know, two years ago. But you know, none of that has been information that generally gets passed on to a person receiving these products. I think people are very trusting in their doctors and expect that their doctors are relying on the best information that they have, and look, no doubt that they are. Um, it's just that they've also not asked or, or looked as much as they could. Uh, so, yeah, look, I mean, the other thing is, is we had a a, a, a former prime minister rec recently go off on a week's leave because uh, he was not, uh, he, he was infected with COVID, so, you know, it's obviously still circulating. Uh, I don't know whether MedSafe just decided finally that the risks far outweigh the, the the benefits. And it quietly slips away, they hope. Yeah, look, it probably, I think that there would be a desire for it to slip away. But if we've got a situation where um, these products are not what 
the sponsor, the pharmaceutical company, promised or are different to, you know, they've been they've been granted financial indemnities that such that nobody in New Zealand or Australia or anywhere else really in the world can go after them. Um, the government's indemnified any damages. Those indemnities under those contracts could be called into question if if a pharmaceutical company has you know committed fraud or has lied or has misled. So you know it's it's a bundle of legal issues um, and questions. Yeah, and also you know there's been some social media going around showing that myocarditis and pericarditis was flagged really early on, and uh, mm. went to you know appropriate people they knew they saw. Of in course. the back room, people were saying, well, you know, here are the risks, and they're actually stating them. But they Great. they were, you can see they were overridden, ignored, whatever you want to say. So, Well, run rough, run rough, run rough shed. I can never get that around. Run rough shod, not just run rough shod. Uh, we had individuals standing on the podium of truth that were recipients of said memo and were saying that very day that it was fine to – uh, vaccinate young, healthy uh, mm. uh, teenagers, and then to also do it in uh, with with a shorter interval dose. So you know, not only did they receive the memo that said, "Hey, myocarditis and pericarditis," uh, they also received um, contradictory evidence from those that were in uh, places and roles of responsibility to give advice, such as the CV tag unit, and. What 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 they were saying was misrepresented entirely. In fact, what was said on the podium of truth was completely at odds to what was being said in that memo and by others. So, you know, again, and then we're going to come down to situations where misleading and deceptive conduct, fraudulent or misleading advertising. We've got the Medicines Act, which you know, clearly says who can make representations about medicines. It's a raft of... Uh, potential liability and legal liability issues surrounding all of that. Thinking of that November 3rd date, and if if this thing closes off on that date, then is that a, you know, like a, a point at which automatically you start to think, well, um, it's obvious that people are going to come out of the woodwork uh, damaged, I believe, legally, um, in broad sort of uh, stroke here, that um, if you were, um, given or, or injured by a medical procedure that um, you, you know you had sold to you in this uh, particular way, then you'd be eligible. It would be a breach of you know uh, rights, and you would qualify for ACC. There could be so many people in that line. Mm, correct. Yeah, How absolutely. Much, it's called treatment injury. And, huge um, money. Huge money. Yeah. Look, potentially ACC. involved here. ACC is a compensation Sorry. scheme. It's ACC is a compensation scheme. It's got certain caps around it. It you know it, it really does look endeavour to attempt to reduce um, plaintiffs bringing actions. Uh, they don't for, have the capacity though, do they? The, well, no. The, this is the tough thing. Is we've got um, uh, it's quite. There's a few things to unpack here, Paul. It's first thing is. The ACC legislation is designed entirely to reduce uh, any personal injuries uh, from a accident, including a treatment injury. Uh, you know, a person being able to claim for those in the courts. Uh, the ACC legislation endeavours to keep the courts um, for other things and proposes to uh, have uh, 
uh, a scheme which will see anyone who is injured, no matter uh, what or how, covered. Um, it's a no-blame compensation scheme with the government footing the bill. Bill, the issue is with the ACC is is that they've numerous time times refused to acknowledge the treatment injuries that have been caused as a consequence of these injectables and we've got a huge number of people that have tried to get coverage been refused they can no longer work anymore they're sleeping on you know parents uh, kitchen floors and you know they're being put to the pain and effort of having to go through every appeal process and step under the ACC legislation to exhaust that before they can even get to court so I mean something's going to have to happen here I don't I, I think uh, Winston Peters suggested uh, something in re- in relation to acknowledging those injured in a, in a different form that takes it outside of the scheme I think that if that could be done that would be very important Alternatively, the scheme actually needs to respond and you need to stop having so many um, refusals uh, where people are genuinely interest, injured um, and, you know, from, from, from the vaccine. And it has to be, instead of saying, oh, well, you need to prove that uh, it, it is the vaccine, well, you know, isn't there, doesn't the presumption have to be the other way, that, you know, it was the vaccine if it was given temporarily in time and you're all of a sudden totally. now terribly unwell, um, you know, isn't, isn't the presumption the other way around? You know, it was the vaccine until proved otherwise. Yeah, it's just the numbers, dealing with the numbers. Oh, it's huge. It's, it really um, is. It's going, to be, it's going to be very, very large. And we're seeing about 12, um, uh, 12 streams of particular injuries over and over again, um, you know, it's not just the heart, but the myocarditis and the pericarditis. It's a lot of other things. We're seeing blood disorders, uh, cancers. You know, there is a very strong sigma increase with the uh, adverse events that we're seeing well, DNA, you know, in the last two years. DNA, as we were talking just before, must be in there somewhere. Yeah, look, and the DNA is a really interesting point, but it's not just the DNA that's that that, that is of a concern to a lot of the experts in this field. Uh, yeah, but to you know, think that people's DNA can be even a little bit of it rewritten, like uh, the code overwritten, really. Of course, of course. It, it and this is are, where are we comfortable our, with that? Really? Well, our, our EPA says they didn't know about it. Um, you know, our EPA's uh, report on whether the mRNA um, lipid nanoparticle complex was a, a, a GMO, you know, it, it's it's going into the uh, body. It's capable of transferring genetic material. It's the whole, the whole methodology of the uh, product is to go into the body and to switch on the genes uh, to create a, a spike protein in response. Um, you know, it's it it is GMO, and look, it is. let's not forget how long ago we were all sitting around concerned that they were going to mix strawberries with cucumbers for you know frost protection and things like that, and we were all quite alarmed about that in the late nineteen nineties, early two thousands, and you know now we've got the situation where people's you know genomic well, with genomic integration we could have a possible risk that people's um, genomes have been changed forever. Hacked. Maybe. Hacked. Perhaps. Perhaps. And look, we don't know. This is the issue with 
Well, if you can get into a system, you might not you might not benefit from the system, but if you can if you can be into the system, that is hacking a system. Yeah, correct. And look, it's got in there without appropriate um, uh, checks and balances, appropriate reviews. These products, you know, if we had put this into, um, and let's be honest, the mRNA concept has been around for decades. It's just not been able to get off the ground because it's not been considered safe um, to do so. And now we've got the, um, you know, the, the, the fact that it has, but it's been done under the uh, urgency of COVID and under these special provisions in the Medicines Act to allow urgent um, approvals before or provisional approvals before um, completing this sort of seven-year ordinary trial process to get through all the various clinical trials. And, you know, we're seeing what the consequences of that are. Corners have been cut. Like a, it's more and more like a Frankenstein movie, actually. When you think about it, because the Look, next generation, yeah. you know, if depending on the the mass delivery of what we're talking about, the next generation is going to have it baked in, hardwired in. There is a very real stuff. risk of that happening, and a lot of people are doing a lot of work at the moment to check stem cells to see if the calling cards have been left, and the way that a number of the vaccine experts around the world are concerned about. Uh, and, you know, this is where we really need our regulators to do their job and remember who they are paid by which and, and, and who, you know, who, who they're responsible for, which is the citizens. We entrust these regulators to do their job. I think all of us would be very, very upset to learn that these products are contaminated, if they are contaminated, and uh, we would be very concerned that the regulators either didn't know or didn't follow up with sufficient particularity to ensure that they were comfortable, that the 58 conditions were satisfied and, you know, that they've potentially been misled themselves. Um, But, you know, the the MedSafe and EPA are on notice in New Zealand and, uh, you know, the $10 test that would take an hour, which would answer all of these concerns and say, don't you dare worry, these are not contaminated, these are our test results, you know, why not allay our concerns if there's nothing if there's nothing to see here? Yeah. Okay. So this date, magical mm. date, like a mirage just sort of hovering and a heat haze in front of everyone. You wonder if it's going to stay there. Um, surely that's when people start to get grumpy and the questions start to be asked because you've got to explain why, you, why you've shut off the entire program. You know, suddenly you've gone from everything to nothing just overnight. Yeah, look, it's going to be incredible to well, – well, it's one to watch and no doubt we'll have a mm. chance to speak about it next Wednesday. Um, I'm certainly keeping an eye on it. Uh, I don't know which way it's going to go, especially in light of these potential contamination issues. Uh, so it will be interesting to see. There has been approvals, like full approvals given in other countries for these products – Oh, look, I don't know. It'll be certainly something to watch and it'll be certainly something I'll keep abreast of. Anything more or is that the law this week? Oh, goodness, I hope it's the law this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. it might be it. I think I don't think. Well, well, there, there, th- before you go, any quick thoughts on international health regulations and um, where oh, that's at yeah. right now, just real quick, um, is there anything that's... to update us on that? Oh, that's so fascinating at the moment, um, and it's fascinating for this reason. 
um, the Cabinet um, released paper back on the 19th of October uh, and they and in that paper they said, you know, the Article 59 uh, amendments which reduce the time periods uh, on the – which need to be rejected by the 1st of December of this year. Uh, look, nothing to see here. They're minor changes. It doesn't matter. The Maori Health Authority actually said, well, you know, 10 months to consider any future substantive changes isn't really that long. Oh, and yeah. There's yep. some pretty substantive changes coming along, but we're a little bit um, concerned about the time frame. We think that the time frame is too tight, and you know, perhaps consider rejecting it. Um, I'm going to use rough shot again. Uh, cabinet run rough shot yeah. straight over the um, uh, Mary Health Authority and said, oh. "Oh well, don't you dare worry. You can start reviewing the 307 proposed amendments now." Um, or you know, sh- shortly, uh, so you can start allaying your concerns that none of them are going to impact on you know, treaty obligations and um, right and the like. But what they didn't tell the Maori Health Authority was that the WHO's lawyer gave the working group to the amendments a rather convenient opinion. So Article 55 of the uh, World Health Organization Constitution requires any document to be really completed within four months of when it's going to be dealt with. And so that's finalised so everyone knows what they're looking at, uh, four months to consider it, and that four months delivery date was to be on the 15th of January. The working group, which uh, Dr Bloomfield's a co-chair, was to deliver this completed 307 International Health Regulation Amendments to uh, the de- Director General of the WHO, and then he was going to give it to the World Health Assembly, which is the 173 member states. Uh, All well and good, except the working group just got a legal opinion which said, well, actually, the constitution doesn't apply to you guys because you're a subcommittee. So, you know, just keep working on those 307 substantive amendments until, you know, right, right up until May 2024 when the World Health Assembly meets. And so we've got this situation where they're not following their own rules. We've already seen uh, 11 countries get pretty terse with the UN for not following the rules of adoption of the Pandemic Preparedness Manifesto. And then we've got a situation now where our governments or cabinets saying, don't worry about these um, about these shortening timeframes because you can go and look at the document now. Well, no, you can't because we don't know when the working group's going to be finished. Unless they know something that, um, you know, way ahead of time that no one knows. Look, if the working group can't get to it now and can't meet this time frame, then the only appropriate thing to do is for us to reject the Article 59 reduction in timeframes of the international health regulations, or we could also reserve, and we could reserve our position on them, and we could just say, hey, look, you guys really aren't providing or complying with your own rules. Uh we're concerned, well, we can see a significant amount of um, proposed changes in the pipeline, you know, 307 amendments to the inter- international health regulations. And where we're seeing things going from non-binding to binding, you know, things are going to have real impact on our domestic law. And we, you know, why, why, why run at warp speed? Uh, because you know you're clearly we, we know how badly you guys write legislation and the policy when you're to doing do it. That's why 
exactly, exactly. But you know, clear heads aren't, um, uh, aren't aren't playing in this environment, and it really needs to be. You know, pandemics don't come along every day. I know that there is a sign that you know the more the more work you do around these areas, the more pandemics <laughs> seem to be uh, cropping up. They're always but, talking you know, about the next one as if they know. Yeah, look, and it's it's really interesting. But we can see that the WHO, the UN, are not um, c- complying with their own rules. Um, you know, they're making it up as they go along. But I, I think an Australian the- body voted this week, didn't they, um, to recommend that that um, Australia follow um, or go along with all these amendments. Um, so, yeah, I, I, Ooh, I can't I- remember who it was, but I think we had it in our news. Um, at some point during the week. Um, anyway. Yeah, look, no, I think that was uh, Jay Scott. Uh, so that's the Judicial um, uh, Select Committee on Treaties, I think is the Australian. And they wrote a, a advice not long ago saying that, again, these Article 59 amendments are minor and tacit acceptance go for gold. So I haven't seen anything else from uh, Australia on that. Um, is that December 1st? Date. Sorry to jump in. Is that mm-hmm. December first date still relevant? I, I remember James uh, Rogowski talking about that. Uh, the deadline, the opt, the opt out. Otherwise, you're automatically opted in. Does that still does that still stand? Yeah, absolutely. It sure does. In respect of those Article Fifty Nine International Health yeah. Regulations, they there is eighteen months to re- reject them. That's the ordinary time frame for rejection or um, reservation. Uh, that time frame expires on the first uh, of December. Um, I've always said the twenty seventh of November because that's when the World Health Assembly. That's exactly eighteen months since the World Health Assembly approved right. the Article Fifty Nine Amendments. Uh, but obviously, the Director General didn't advise the rest of the hmm. uh, member states until about or until the first. So that's why the first of December date is relevant. But no, it, it very much is real, and it is a situation of tacit acceptance. Yeah. Oh dear. Do you think? Well, no one. A few people know about this, but not a lot of people know about this. I've got to say. No, they don't. And I've done a um, I've I've done a lot of work in this area, and I'm endeavouring to inform and, and let people know as yeah. much as as we can about it. If anyone knows anyone at the Murray Health Authority uh, that I could speak to, that would be interested to understand a bit further because the response that cabinet's given them you know, doesn't satisfy the answer that they have, that, that doesn't satisfy their concerns because it's not a solution because what's, you know, the solution provided won't be finalised until up, uh, until May. It, there is a lot going on it's, and it's convoluted and it's a bit confusing, but it actually can be distilled down quite easily to the WHO and the UN are not complying with their own rules, yeah. and uh, you know, and they, they they want this rammed through as fast as they can. And we've seen the last three years what happens when you ram through legislation. And who puts the brakes on just quickly? Because I mean, the government's still not not in place, and that's not far away. That's so correct. So we put got- their foot on the brake pretty soon after everything comes together. If that's to, to if we if we're not to automatically opt in. Look, and the, that's the other thing that's quite interesting with this situation is, is that we have had a cabinet holding on to this uh, right up into the month before, um, the month just after the election, but they've been sitting on this for 18 months. Yeah, uh, There's been a few cabinet papers that have been produced up until this point. They've left it for the caretaker government um, to look after until you know the 
new governments appointed. Uh, I don't know whether or not National or ACT uh, would have a um, new um, or a different view on this. I don't think, given you know their the, the murmurings to date, that they would. Uh, but they should look. The real easy thing is to do is just reserve our position on it until the government can have a say. Yeah. Yeah, and reserving's easy, but we actually need to say something. But we sort of need to know how that's going to work. We're only a month out. I mean, where's the where's the brake pedal? Where's the handbrake? You know, oh, it's 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 an email from MFAT or Ministry of Health, yeah, to the WHA or and the Director General of the WHO saying we Sorry. reserve or yeah. we reject. Um, right. If we don't so say reserve anything, reserve would be the most peaceful thing to do. Reserve would be the most sensible thing given that we've had a change in government right? Um, and we don't necessarily know what our government's position on it is uh, or our new government's position on it is. But look, uh, the timeframes, um, the, the reduction in timeframes is going to make it very difficult for a country to get across the 307 amendments, which they are at the moment, which are very you know, trying to figure out how they're going to fold themselves into our domestic law and what laws we have to change to now. They know that. With. They know that. Absolutely, they know. Um, but, you know, In that's fact, part of the tactic, isn't it? You swamp of them. Of course. You know, hit them with a tsunami of stuff. And Of know, course. Yeah. And, you know, this is a situation where we've got a uh, you know, former Director General of Health, you know, doing this to our country. Yeah. Boy. And and, and 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 what what is there is alarming. I mm-hmm. encourage everyone to go and see the WHO page on the VFF website, which I've spent a lot of time doing. I aim to keep it up to date. There's a few things I've got to do to update it further. There's another version of the CA Plus that's come out, which is the pandemic treaty. Um, you know, it's never ending, but it's you know it, it's the modus operandi. Well, um, and if you think that, uh, I, and I believe well, close to belief as possible that RCR had some sort of effect in informing people through the election that had, I think, it moved the needle slightly. So I think it is possible to communicate stuff. It gets out there and it can make a difference. So, Oh, absolutely. You know, you something know, like this is even shared thousands of times, so that builds awareness. You know, That's what we can hope for. Yeah, and look, talk to people about it. I mean, this is that what is in line with these WHO amendments are – uh, internet, international health regulation amendments is vaccine passes um, under the pandemic uh, preparedness, sorry, under the pandemic CA plus, you know, with the sharing and centralising of um, uh, bacteria and viruses. Yeah. You know, do we need Wuhan 2.0? No. Uh, and, you know, it's, Looking for it's, the next uh, killer Virus in what in, in Coromandel Coast somewhere. <laughs> Searching desperately, you know, going yeah. through sewage treatment plants uh, and you know yeah, testing yeah. and new Plymouth you know, wastewater system. Yeah, looking for, for looking for the next. So it's it's being it's very much being presented as a this is great for the world. But again, I say this regularly: is no matter what your position is on the last few years, the fact that there has been no stop to check, to question things, to find out what worked well and what didn't, and 
you know, we know that there was a few things that didn't work well and it's going to be definitely down to a lot of different people's views, but there has been no assessment of that and yet we've got the WHO uh, running headlong and the UN running headlong into producing documents which are going to empower them to be able to make full decisions for our country. All unelected? Uh, unelected, yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, and they will be able to make decisions for our country on possible health events, not actual, possible. It's 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 going to be, yeah. Well, if they yeah, got to, if they the if they could do everything after the last uh, amendments to the international health regulations, what they will be able to do, um, I, I can't even comprehend what they're empowering themselves to be able to do under these new ones. Here's the worry, though, and we're up against time, so not long, but here's the worry. What if it turns out that the majority of people want it that way? Look, and wasn't that the question that... How do you then um, do the political sell? Because then it becomes a conscious principle, a conscience, you know, philosophical sort of thingy, you know. Um, if people think this this is sort of not 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 the normal thing to reject this kind of control system and embrace it because it makes them feel good. I mean, we and might, that's how it's we being might sold. get that. We might get that. That's how it's being sold. But, you know, we've people think to themselves, oh, that's great. I'm, I'd be really happy that, um, you know, the WHO and the UN have got $30 billion a year just to be prepared for the next pandemic. But you need to um, uh, scratch away the surface of, uh, the fanfare and how it's being sold. And we've got organisations that are, are, are very dependent on public-private partnerships. We've got donors, not country don't, not 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 a member state that's a donor. Yeah. We've got private organisations that um, are, are, are heavily influencing um, the WHO. We've got Gavi. We've got the Gates and Melinda Foundation. Um, who are massive donors. And, of course, what the money they donate is attached to hooks or, you know, requirements. They don't just give the money and say, WHO, you go and decide what you want to do uh, with this money. No, no, it comes with ties. And uh, Well, they use the WHO to legitimise these, you know, these products, these um – and the uh, delivery um, uh, sales sort of uh, format for selling them. Yeah, correct. And look, you under the uh, manifest. Sorry, under the uh, pandemic CA plus, um, the other WHO pandemic treaty, which is very much like a trade agreement. Um, at the table is um, a, a, being involved in decisions is pandemic related product companies. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's changed under the latest version, which just came out yesterday. I would have to have a look. But uh, there is certainly enough reason um, to be concerned that these are not organisations that are, uh, have our best interests because had they, then we would have applied ordinary principles, which is, you know, uh, how did the last one go? Why did we ignore all of our um, influenza um, plans? Uh, why did we then follow this new regime, untested, untrialed? Uh, why did we use products that had not been through the ordinary um, uh, trial process? Why did we um, effectively make illegal drugs that were around that could just be repurposed? 
why lock down the healthy? Why not consider the, uh, why use modeling instead of the infection fatality rate? You know, there's a gazillion questions. How long is that list? Uh, I think I always walk away. I, I always try and keep, well, hundreds and hundreds of bullet points long, Paul. But yeah. I think there's certainly about 10 items on the list that I take away as something's a bit off. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a there's at least ten, and that's you know the the ones that I think to myself, yeah, that wouldn't happen ordinarily. Yeah, yeah. Well, they call it a signal. Definitely a signal. We, we learn all these new words. Absolutely, it safety signals. like I've been saying it for ages. Oh yeah, red flags. Yeah, that signal. Yeah. 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 Okay, that was fascinating, Katie. Oh, good. I'm pleased. Yeah. Um, so let's see what happens with that um, That uh, November 3rd. Maybe we can revisit that. See yeah, if anything happened, you know, in the time. Look, I am keeping my eyes peeled. If anyone knows that, um, you know, the COVID injectables have been recalled um, and won't be available after the 3rd of November, that will be extremely fascinating. I feel we're going to see something happen in the next um, we while again, I find that 27th of October Gazette notice really strange. Yeah, effectively just confirming 3rd November is expiry. If it had been approved, perhaps then that Gazette notice should have just been granting full approval. I don't know, something's weird, but uh, we'll definitely be ready what, to talk what, about it. Okay, more. last very last thing what okay. sort of weird could it be? Uh, does that mean there was a hasty decision made in a very short? period of time where, you know, quite a dramatic editing took place there. You go from, you know, you know, confident delivery one moment to that date and then the handbrake on, you know, it's, it's like hitting the emergency stop on the train. It is interesting. I don't know. No. I really don't know. I think the next uh, few days is going to be interesting. The 3rd of November, of course, is Friday. We'll see if anything happens before then. Uh, I haven't seen anything, as I said, to see whether or not the yep. approval has changed. So, look, it's a case of wait and see. Um, yep. And I really hope they're going to manage, if it's a managed retreat. Managed um, retreat. Don't say that. that. Excuse Please don't one. say that. If it is, then I would hope that they're going to be there to support and explain things to people that would still expect to be able to roll up their sleeves and get the products. Yeah, that you've got to. And that, that could be significant numbers. It's, it's oh, pulling, pulling the rug a bit. I, no, I think It is. There's you know, not many people getting boosted any longer. I suppose. I suppose. It's, it's pretty minimal. Yeah. Um, okay. But look, it's not just these products. It's the next iteration of these mRNA vaccines, which they're looking to convert a lot of the um, childhood products to. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. okay. this is not the end of it. We've got Moderna in Australia boasting – a facility that will be able to generate 100 million COVID, sorry, mRNA vaccines a year. And Moderna have at least three or four of those factories currently being built around the world, you know, in partnership with our governments. Oh, dear. Okay. And for those who uh, want to keep up with what, will you update us next time we talk on, you, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the uh, GMO um, material, what do you call it? The genetic material in some of the doses, right? And mm -hmm. And where that gets to. Of course. Yeah. That's the freaky one too. Look, yeah. Um, that's really freaky. I'm doing... that's, that's zombie yeah. movie stuff, that. 
yeah, it, it has the potential to be freaky. But we yeah. do need our regulators to start regulating um, and not perpetuating uh, situations which have been allowed to potentially happen to date. I'm not saying that they have. Just go and do the test. All right, 10 bucks. Ten, I'll, I'll even pay the 10 bucks. <laughs> Be careful. You wouldn't want to get that news, would you? No. Um, and then we need to work through what the impact is of the contamination. Yeah. You know? But it shouldn't be there. It's dirty drugs. Yeah. Dirty drugs, yeah. All right, Katie Ashby-Coppins, Legal Hub. Thanks, Katie. We'll do it again Thanks, in Paul. a week. Thanks, everybody. Catch you next week. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.